I am now and have always been a problem solver. From a young age, I liked analytical games like Chinese checkers because I could win at them because I was good at solving problems. Well, in seminary, they said something that was hard for me to take, which was, people are not problems to be solved. I was like, well, dang it, what am I doing with my life? I just want to solve problems. Well, there's one place in my priesthood where I do get to kind of still solve problems, and that is in confession and in spiritual direction. This is where people will come and they will tell me many of the problems in their life, their sins or the issues with prayer or their issues with God. And my job, which thrills me to no end, is to try to identify the origin of those problems and to recommend a remedy. I still today find this very exciting. Well, in the course of doing this, you pick up on patterns. You pick up on different things that seem to be true over the course of a lot of people that you talk to. And one of the patterns that I've picked up on that many other priests have confirmed to me is that almost always our default image of God, the place where we start with who we view God to be, is based on our relationship with our Father. An example from my own life. Recently, I've realized that my prayer is dominated by concerns about our parish. Going to prayer, I have something that I'm working on or something that I need to get done, and I talk to Jesus about that. To the exclusion of most other kinds of prayer. There's not a lot of adoration, there's not a lot of intercession, there's not a lot of petition, just a lot of problem-solving with the Lord. And that's not uncommon for new pastors. There's a lot of things that's on their mind. But it fits a pattern for me that predates my time at Assumption. Even before I got here, even all the way back in undergraduate, I remember trying to articulate how I viewed God. In undergraduate, I used the image of a general. Today, I generally use the image of a mentor. But it's somebody who... I work for, somebody that has a task in mind and is training me for that task or helping me along to accomplish that task. That's still very much how I view God. And in this prayer, me trying to reflect on, is this a problem? I asked, okay, why is it that I see God this way? And I struggled with it and I struggled with it. And then I thought about my relationship with my father. I'd only lived with my dad for 10 years before my parents got divorced. But in those 10 years, a lot of my memories of him are us in the garage or at the boat working on something. Maybe he's working on something and I'm working on a different thing near him. Or maybe I'm helping him by giving him tools or holding something, as often happens. So that got even more pronounced after my parents divorced when I would go down to Texas and visit my dad and that's still true today most of our interaction is built around a project list, a to-do list we don't spend a lot of time just shooting the breeze well, when I apply that to my relationship with God it should really be no surprise that if I bond with and grow closer to my father through a task list that if I want to bond with and grow closer to the Lord I bring him a project and ask him for help. 
that pattern fits. The fact that our dominant image of God so often comes from our dads can obviously be a good thing or a bad thing. For some people, their experience of their fathers is healthy and well-ordered, and his example helps them understand and believe that God, too, is loving and caring and supportive and strong and honorable and trustworthy. But for other people, dads can be flawed, broken, and complicated. If, for example, a dad only shows his approval when a child is successful and he flies off the handle at even a minor mistake, it is easy for that child to see God also as a disciplinarian whose love must be earned and whose affection can be easily lost. Or, if a dad is emotionally distant, it is easy for a child to believe that God has no interest in a relationship with them. Now, this isn't always true. There are always exceptions. But I wouldn't be preaching about it if the trend weren't striking. If, in my conversations with people, this didn't come up over and over and over again. It is generally true. It is not for nothing that Jesus calls God our Father. But of course, we Christians believe that God is always calling us to growth and holiness. So we're never stuck with our relationship with God always being the same as our relationship with our Father. It's simply the starting point. And God takes that starting point and he builds on it. How does he do that? How does he build on that starting point? First... He gives us brains. He lets us analyze the world around us, to think about it, to have insights. He allows us to ask what was good and what was bad about our relationships with our fathers. We can learn to identify the virtues and vices of our fathers, and we can ask which of these virtues and which of these vices we have applied to our own image of God. In what ways, for example, did my father model for me a healthy and loving fatherhood? These are going to be the places where I most powerfully see God and where I find the most spiritual strength. These are the places where God is going to give me the most consolation. These are the places where, even if my father was amazing, I generally automatically trust that God is even more amazing. But then we also have to ask ourselves, in what ways was my father, even though he may have been trying his best, imperfect? In what ways did I not experience the love of my father in the way I would have liked to? These are usually going to be the same places in which we struggle in our relationship with God. By identifying these broken aspects of our relationship with our dads, we can then guard against applying them to God. We can say, just because Dad was strict doesn't mean that God is strict too. Or just because Dad was distant doesn't mean that God was distant too. We have a natural tendency to take those characteristics and put them on God. But if we can do the analysis, 
and ask what was good and what was bad, we can take the bad and we can say, well, my faith says that that bad doesn't apply to God, that God is, in fact, perfect. And so God, in fact, supplements or completes or heals those aspects of fatherly love I did not receive as a child. Now, the second way that God allows us to build off of the default starting point is by giving us St. Joseph. I've worked with people whose relationship with their earthly father was broken enough that they felt completely unable to approach God without unhealthy fear or the expectation of disappointment. So I send these people to St. Joseph, who is often less threatening and more approachable. They don't have a broken image of St. Joseph. I ask them to imagine what various childhood memories would have been like had St. Joseph been their father. How would St. Joseph have handled that situation which my dad handled poorly? Of course, St. Joseph was the only member of his household who was able to sin. So he's not perfect, but God chose him to be the foster father of his only begotten son, so he does still have a lot going for him. Now, it does go without saying that mothers are incredibly important, too. There has been remarkable research done in the last couple of decades that shows that for the first year of a child's life, that child's ability or inability to bond with its mother results in lifelong emotional and relational patterns that are very hard to change or rewrite. Healthy relationships with our moms are essential for healthy and happy lives. And I'm sure this is why Jesus made sure that his own mother became central in Christian spirituality, so that we would always have a mother figure to guide us, direct us, and pray for us. I simply haven't spoken as much about mothers in this homily because I haven't seen patterns emerge. I haven't been offering spiritual direction long enough to know what kind of effect our relationship with our mother has on our relationship with God. Or maybe there are just fewer broken relationships with our mothers in the world. I'm not sure. But when I figure it out, I'll let you know. Now, I was a little worried about preaching this homily because I don't envy parents. Being a parent is probably the hardest job in the world, and I didn't want to add to those burdens. It is already difficult enough just keeping kids alive and fed. Imagine also having to worry about their emotional, relational, and spiritual lives, too. We should all be thankful to our parents just for being parents. And we should honor them, love them, and pray for them, exactly as the scriptures tell us to do today. I would recommend that every family pray to the Holy Family, because only with the model and intercessions of the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph can a family ever begin to be holy. But even the best parents are not perfect. We are all human, and we all fail from time to time. I hope it is a consolation to every parent and to every child, that God has also given us his own parents 
as our own. Mary and St. Joseph are not just distant models to be imitated, but they are active members of the communion of saints who pray for us and minister to us. If we are struggling as a parent, we have great intercessors in heaven. If we struggle as a child or are struggling now with our memories from childhood, we have another set of parents, near-perfect parents, to comfort us and to guide us. God loves families and created them to be the central reality of human life and community. He will always give us the graces necessary to live out our family vocations. And he will also give us the graces and the models necessary to heal whatever has been broken in our families by sin. The Holy Family is our model and will always be our model. And we are so blessed to honor them today and to receive their prayers from heaven.